0: Celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, D.C. Hendrix. And welcome in. This is the Music Vibes Podcast. I am your host, D.C. Hendrix. And here, of course, we celebrate classics and create new ones. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Everywhere podcasts are available. Just go ahead and make us one of your favorites and leave us a review. Scroll on down, click write a review, and let us know what you are thinking. So, love traveling back into time, hitting that time machine, and this time, we get to go back to the 1980s once again, and someone that I know also loves going back to the 80s is someone that's actually been on this show before, so I know last year, I had a little fun going back and traveling back, talking about the best albums and best songs through the decades. We started in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and I believe we did 2000s and 2010s as well, so my guest... Well, we're talking 80s today, so I think we had her on the 1980s podcast where we went back and talked about the best albums and the best songs of the 1980s. She has a new book out that travels back to the 1980s, and it talks about Duran Duran's Rio. We are joined by the award-winning journalist, the one and only, we love her, we love having her, Annie Zaleski, joining us right now on the Music Vibes podcast to talk about her new book. Annie, what's going on? How you doing?
1: I'm good. Good intro, geez. (laughs) I'm really...
0: Having a good day. <laughs> yeah, I try. I try. I practiced it a hundred times before I called you, so just wanted to make sure that I got it right when I got you live. So I, I got I got my practicing before you came on. But all ser- all seriousness, it's always great to have you. And I gotta start by checking out checking in on my guy Matt. You know, I love having you both on. But how is my guy Matt doing?
1: he's doing good you know he's interviewing rock stars our calendar is full of you know fun our google shared google calendar has lots of fun names the people he's interviewing and you know he's uh he chatted up alex life's in a rush yesterday so he was very excited so
0: wow.
1: our rock and roll lifestyle continues
0: that's right and of course matt wardlaw is the guy i'm talking about and him and annie are married uh with my favorite couple in the music journalist world so but we got annie zaleski she's got a new book out so let's start with you annie and of course for anyone listening right now that doesn't know about your fantastic work i don't know where they've been um probably living under a rock i know 2020 has everyone all kinds of sort of messed up we're kind of getting back to normal catch us up on everything that you do today annie zaleski
1: yeah I mean so uh, yeah I, I think it was with many people during the pandemic that was uh, I stayed inside it was a uh, very topsy-turvy but I had this book to work on it was a book on Duran Duran on their 1982 album Rio entire book on the record and music videos and, you know, the impact it had. And so that's that's the major thing I worked on last year. Um, as always, I work on some other projects, too. I do some journalism. I've done some stuff for Stereo Gum. I have some stuff in The Guardian and PR Music. And so every so often here and there, I have uh, some pieces that pop up. But I was definitely focused on my book for the last geez, year and a half
0: yeah i was gonna ask you what you've been up to since the pandemic but I, I guess this book uh definitely answers that question that's pretty much all you need to say is yep i got this book that's what i it's what i did and of course um i wanted to check in on this too so you've written liner notes as well
1: i have and so a few years ago um when R.E.M. Uh, released their, uh, they reissued their album uh, Out of Time, their 1991 album Out of Time, they did this big deluxe anniversary edition, and I wrote liner notes for it, which was just such a thrill. I got to talk to every member of the band, I talked to, and, uh, you know, basically I talked uh, to some of the uh, producer people, and I basically put together this 3,000-word essay on the making of the record, and what it meant, which was just like unbelievable thrill, because R.E.M. is also one of my favorite bands. So it's it's really cool to have this like it, it was released as kind of a CD book almost you almost kind of open it up and there's like you know my words and my name and then the music and so out of time was actually one of the first CDs I think I ever bought and so it was it was a really cool career moment.
0: Wow, that's crazy. That's that is absolutely awesome. Um, so I, I see you got all these articles and you got a you got a book now. You're writing liner notes. Do you have free time, Annie? What what do you do <laughs> in, in your free time? Do you have any?
1: You know what? Actually, during the pandemic, I started playing Animal Crossing. So
0: hey. That's what I do in
1: my free time is I tend to my island, and which is overrun with flowers right now. So That's <laughs> my, my thing. Trying to deal with that because it rains and then it's just too many pansies. It's ridiculous. So, yeah. My husband, Matt, makes fun of me because I'm like, you know, always fishing and he, he likes all the little sounds that it makes. But, but it's relaxing. It's stress relieving.
0: It really is. Um, and of course, you're talking about Animal Crossing that's on the Nintendo Switch. I'm assuming you got the new, okay, I'm assuming you got the new one, so yeah, I actually had one, I got one for the kids, I think, I got it during the pandemic, I got a Nintendo Switch, they played it for like two weeks and never touched it again, so I ended up getting rid of it, Um, so I no longer have the Switch, but I got rid of it right around the time when Animal Crossing came out, so I know exactly what you're dealing with, I also play games in my free time, so we gotta, we gotta find that balance, I was just checking, because you're so busy, and I swear it's like every day you got a new article, you're doing interviews, you got a book. I was just curious if you had any free time because you put out all this fantastic work. And of course, you know, as we kind of start looking ahead towards this book, um, you know, the 1980s, let's start there. So obviously you got this book on Duran Duran's Rio and let's, let's just talk 80s music. Exactly. You know what? What genre that, you know, not only Duran Duran brought, but the genre that took over the 80s. Let's start with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so interesting because, yeah, I mean, I think everyone now knows your Duran Duran for Hungry Like the Wolves. Rio and uh, the South Wild Boys, the Reflex. And so they're kind of the known as just like really kind of flashy, flamboyant, um, you know, rock band, basically, with with synthesizers. But it's so interesting because the 80s were so colorful. I mean, I think when people think of Duran Duran Duran, you know, they think of optimism and fun and, you know, having a good time. And to me, that's what so much 80s music is. It's very celebratory. It's, you know, you put it on and you have a smile on your face. It's danceable. It can be kind of silly sometimes. And so, I I mean, to me, that's, that's why I love, 80s music. And I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I was pretty young, but I grew up kind of then. But it was really a joy to kind of grow up in that era because it's fun. You know, it's just, it, it puts a smile on your face.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I grew up in the 90s, so I was forced to listen to boy bands. And uh I, I, I do like the grunge. I do like the grunge that I got in the 90s, but always been a little bit jealous of anyone that actually got to grow up in time in the 1980s. Obviously, I can listen to the 80s and I can jam to Hungry Like a Wolf and. Uh, Wang Chung and everybody wants to rule the world and Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen. I could jam out to him, but I just I will never get that moment and feeling of actually being there in the 80s. And I can't stand it. So that's why the best I can do is hit that time machine right here on the podcast and act as if as if I was there. And, what, you know, you, t- you talk about the 80s and, you know, the genre that kind of took over. And Duran Duran was a big reason for that. So kind of recap, um, you know, let's let's start there. Uh, Duran Duran's early days and kind of breaking off into the mainstream. Let's start there.
1: Yeah. I mean, so Duran Duran, they released their first record in 1981. And in, they're from England, and it was a huge hit. They had a huge hit in England. And it was actually very successful in Australia, too, of all places. But in America, they were more kind of like a cult band. Um, it's so funny to think of right now, but they were kind of like a young band playing clubs, trying to get attention. Uh, you know, they were popular in dance clubs, uh, which were playing. Uh, that's where all the hippest cutting edge music uh, was at the time. But, yeah, they were like this little scrappy band. And it's so funny because in 1981, you know, the, the 80s really, as we know them, kind of didn't exist then. Um, you know, people were still, music was still kind of stayed and music was still kind of... A little bit, um, you know, more conservative, I guess, both in like look and dress, and also just in sound. So like Duran Duran came over from England. And they had like crazy colored hair, and they had cool outfits, and some of them wore makeup, and they looked like they were from another planet. So <laughs> you can kind of see why like they like at first it was like, all right, you know, what is this man? you know? Um, but it, so in 1982 they released Rio and it was a very similar thing at first. More hipper radio stations and college radio stations and dance clubs, they were all in on Duran Duran. You know, and they, you know, they had some pretty high-profile opening acts. They opened for Blondie in 1982 in America and North America. And so they were they were still just kind of working, trying to be a success. You know, they were big, huge, and popular in, in the U.K. Rio really made them popular in the U.K., um, even more popular. But they, they were still, like, scrapping, basically. They were like a young, hardworking band. And so it really took a combination of things to help Duran Duran be successful. Um, you know, it took uh, MTV videos. It took radio finally kind of warming up to their music. They had to have songs remixed. And so... it's it's, it's crazy to think of right now that Duran Duran always wasn't this like really popular beloved band, but no, at first, you know, people were skeptical of them, which is just crazy to think about.
0: Yeah. And I remember going back to the podcast that we did when I had, I think it was you and Matt Wake when we talked about favorite and best songs and albums of the eighties. And I remember the first message you sent me back after you replied and said, yes, of course you'd like to come on. First thing you said was spoiler alert, Rio is going to be number one. You told me that right off the bat. So obviously, you know, approaching to writing this book, this is obviously near and dear to your heart. So just kind of reiterate exactly, you know, your first time, you know, let's travel back to the first time you heard Rio and what it means to you personally.
1: Man, So, you know, you mentioned not being old enough to hear things for the first time. So even though I grew up in the 80s, my biggest first memories of Duran Duran were in the 90s. Um, They released – in in 1993, they had this, like, whole wave of hits with Ordinary World and Come Undone and Too Much Information, and so that was sort of my entry point into Duran Duran. And there were a lot of really cool radio stations that played – um Like there, the 80s music too There were like these retro lunches And so my big introduction to like 80s music As you know someone like When I was old enough to remember it Was all of these like cool stations So they played Duran and Duran And so what I did is I went to the library My town library had a copy of Rio And I took it out of the library And I dumped it to cassettes and I know this because I, I have this distinct memory of being in, in high school and listening to it on my Walkman, and like, and I, I still have this tape. I still have this dub tape of Rio that I taped off you know, from a long time ago from the library because I was a kid. I didn't have a ton of money, so I wasn't like able to go to record stores and buy, buy albums and things like that, or very many of them. So I had this little tape, and so I would listen to Rio. And then on the flip side, I put other Duran, Duran singles. So that's what I remember most from being a kid. That was, like, my introduction it was this, like, it was this, like, really cool record that I was really kind of obsessed by. And then I, I found a cassette later on that was, um, you know, like, very, very cheap in like, the dollar bin or something. And so I had that later on. But, yeah, that was, that was my introduction because I was in high school. And this was in the 90s. And so this was well after the record became a success. But it was still so good. It sounded so good. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And my autographed copy of the book is on its way and I cannot wait to dig in fully into this. And I know you, something you talked about and I want to dig into right now is so obviously when Rio was released in 1982, the breakthrough for them, Um, you know, kind of talk about in your personal opinion and what you get into in the book, why it didn't necessarily become a hit right away, because you look back on the 80s and Rio is, I mean, easily like like, when I asked you to come on the 80s podcast, you said Rio right off the back, And a lot of people would say Rio would be one of their top albums from that decade. So, you know, obviously now we appreciate this album a little bit more, but why didn't people appreciate it at the beginning when it was released?
1: Well, I mean, you know, one of the biggest things was that in music at that time, rock music especially was still like really different. And it sounded like when you look at the rock radio charts, There was a lot of Rush and Bob Seger and Steve Miller, Steve Miller Band and things like that. There's nothing wrong with those bands at all, but they sound so different from Duran Duran. You know, Duran Duran had keyboards. They were definitely more influenced by David Bowie and Roxy Music and Chic and dance music. And so they were really this like really interesting hybrid of new sounds, basically. And radio was notoriously conservative in the early 80s. So they were sort of like, I don't know about this. And so, you know, especially with keyboards, they were very suspicious of keyboards. Guitars, yeah, no problem. They know that. But keyboards, kind of a little bit. They gave it a little bit of a side eye. So that was one of the things. And at that time, pretty much the only way to become a success in America was having a radio hit. So that was one thing. MTV, you know, I think everyone knows MTV now is, you know, they were this influential thing. People loved it, really changed music. But it wasn't in a lot of households early on. It took a long time for it to kind of expand in America and really gain the toehold. So even though Duran Duran benefited greatly from it, it was, at first, you know, MTV just wasn't in that many places um, to be able to kind of benefit Duran Duran. And so that was another thing. And, you know, second off, that they were just, you know, they just sounded. Their songs were really good, and they sounded so different than a lot of the other bands. They they knew how to kind of project this, um, you know, this this visual aesthetic. And a lot of other bands, you know, they were basically used to we're going to throw on some you know casual clothes and go on stage and perform. You know, British bands. I mean, you had people like Queen, and you had Kate Bush, and you had Iron Maiden. All of these bands had just they, they understood that. You needed to have a really good visual sense to also really take off. And, you know, Blondie and Talking Heads in America and Devo, like, they really understood that. But a lot of American bands, they just didn't, it didn't register as much. And so Duran Duran was very, very uh, cutting-edge and forward-thinking and British, and so that Americans were just kind of a little bit like, what's going on? So that's, that's the long and the short of it, <laughs> basically.
0: Yeah, and you talked about, and I, I think I read this as well, that when it was even released, you know, it, it even had to be, like, remixed and reissued before it even got big here in the U.S.?
1: That's correct. You know, so basically what happened is that Rio came out, didn't really do much. And so what they did is they hired a remixer named David Kirschenbaum, who kind of took another another, another crack at Hungry Like the Wolf along with the band. And they put together this new mix, and everyone really liked it. So they reissued Rio and, and he ended up actually uh, reissuing like the very the whole first side of Rio. So he reissued, he re, he remixed the first side and they reissued it. And then uh, then what happened later on is that there was this other EP. It was called the Carnival EP. And this had different remixes. They had a couple of the remixes David Kirschenbaum had done, plus some other ones that that Capitol Records released. Um, because at that point too, um, it was called like a mini EP. And or mini LP, it was EP or mini LP, and those were really really big because they were cheaper. And like, I mean, if you're a kid and you're you know want to spend some money on a new band, it was a little bit an easier way to kind of try out something without committing to the full thing. So Carnival came out in September of 1982, and the there was a dance version of Hungry Like the Wolf on that. And at some point they took that version and subbed it onto Rio with the bomb remixes and reissued it again. So <laughs> trying to find, like, what top version of Rio you have is like a treasure hunt, basically. You know, the Discog's page is, like, 70, like, entries long. It's utterly ridiculous. So that's, that's kind of what they're up to. But, yeah, they, they basically had to have all these different remixes of the song to kind of give people variety, you know, and kind of give people, like, a different look at the song to kind of try to convince them that this was a good song, which is just so crazy in hindsight
0: so i want to dig into the album a little bit before we translate a little bit more into exactly you know what's in the actual book that you've written which i've heard great things about i cannot wait until that comes in the mail i'm telling you i'm ready to dig into it but let's talk about the album rio in general you mentioned hungry like the wolf and rio the two big songs that everyone pretty much knows and have heard hopefully at this moment in time um but okay so this album also has other songs on it obviously it's not just a two-song album But let's talk about some of the rest of them. What would you say would be some other essential tracks? I absolutely love My Own Way. Um, That's a personal favorite of mine as well, other than the two main tracks. But um, for you, what what are some other essential tracks from Rio that you think really helped this album and shaped it and helped it become one of the albums of the decade? That's
1: a great question. So I think... Lonely in Your Nightmare is one of my favorite songs on the record, too. And this one is interesting because it's kind of moody. Um, It's very kind of meditative and almost melancholy. It's kind of a different, kind of a sophisticated, like, adult sound for Duran Duran. You know, they they were so known for, like, upbeat dance music and things like that. And Lonely in Your Nightmare was definitely a different kind of mood. Um, It was a little bit more brooding. And so it really kind of, it was definitely a different kind of tactic. And it really showed people, hey, you know, there's a different side to this band. On that same token, New Religion as well is also one of my favorite songs on the record. And this song is really interesting because there's there's all sorts of like cool parts that kind of come together to make the song. You have these really interesting keyboard drones, and you have interesting guitar riffs and a really kind of cool bass line. And Simon LeBond had gotten into hip-hop, and so he was doing some kind of speak-singing vocals, and the drumming is just really interesting. And so it really showed off that every single band member has something different to bring to the table, and it was arranged and mixed in such a way that everything worked together. Um, You know, because when you have so many different people coming at a song from a different approach, you could feel like a mess. And this one doesn't. It just really, really works. And so that's always a favorite, too. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a Prayer, which is on uh, side two, which is their big ballad, which is another sort of new sound and new step forward for Duran Duran. It was a big, lovely ballad. And so that's always been a favorite song of mine, too.
0: Nice, nice, nice. And I don't know if you've ever got a chance to actually um, look at the charts or anything in regards to this album. Now, it did end up peaking in the U.S. all the way at number six on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 charts. So when this song kind of started making um, its way on the charts, what albums were kind of rivaling? I don't know if you have got a, you got a chance to look at that, but um, did you have a chance to see the other albums that it was up there against on the U.S. Billboard 200?
1: That's a good question. I need to look that up. I feel like it was early 83. I feel like it was stuff like Thriller potentially was was Yeah, like Thriller, I think, was obviously, which was such a massive, massive album. Um, You know, I know on the singles chart that they were up against Billie Jean and they were up against Culture Clubs, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And so, I mean, yeah, that's what's so interesting is that, you know, the record came out in 1982, but it really didn't hit until 1983. And so it was really up against, and 1983 was a massive year for pop music. And so it was really up against these, like, huge records like David Bowie's Less Dance, came out then and so they were competing with that um, those were of some of them but it was yeah it was it was really interesting because yeah I mean they came out in a, a time and music changed so drastically between 1982 and 1983 that by the time it became a hit like it was almost like the charts finally caught up to what Duran, Duran had been doing all along and woke up to being like yeah this is actually good all right <laughs> they're actually on this update here and so yeah I mean when it, it, I think Prince actually too I think I think Prince also was way up there too. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at that. But I mean, but who are we talking about? We are talking about these legends, basically the '80s icons. And Duran Duran was right up there with all of them. And I, I, I said this in my book, but I think that Rio is kind of one of those '80s blockbusters, like Born in the USA or Purple Rain or something like that. Mm-hmm. In that, it just really is its own universe, and it really, you know, impacted so many different things.
0: What a great point, Annie, and that, that's kind of why I brought it up. You know, it was just kind of looking back, you know, peaking at number six on the Billboard 200 charts during a time where Michael Jackson is, is at his peak. He got Prince at his peak, Bruce Springsteen at his peak, Madonna. I mean, that's <laughs> – in my book, that's pretty impressive, and that's kind of what I wanted to highlight with Duran Duran, you know, for the audience. And obviously, you know, digging into the book a little bit, as I want to know, I, I guess, you know b- – for readers that are getting ready to purchase this book, because I know they are, because we're getting teased and teased even more as we dig into, you know, Duran Duran's Rio. So let's talk about the book. You know what? What exactly? Other than telling everyone, um, you know, this this is a great album from 1982. Other, other than that, and I know you did some interviews and things like that, but what exactly were you trying to get across to your readers, you know, approaching the, writing this book on Rio?
1: That's, you know, you kind of hit it on the nail right there that what I wanted to tell people is, you know, that this record is such, is an amazing record. I mean, first off, I also wanted to convey that Durand Duran themselves are great musicians, and they deserve a lot more respect than potentially they get in some circles. Um, You know, being a longtime fan, it's been very interesting, you know, to see kind of the ebb and flow of things. And now you see a lot more people being like, oh, yeah, Durand Duran wrote some great songs, or wow, those are great musicians, like that bass line is amazing. And you see that a lot more now, but that wasn't always the case. A lot of people just, they thought because Duran Duran were so good looking and had these amazing outfits, that they were just some boy band or they were just pretty faces or they were just a video band. And people didn't realize just, you know, how hard they worked and how hard they worked to write songs and what great musicians they are. And so, you know, even if people aren't Duran Duran fans, I wanted them to kind of read my book and at least respect them a little more and, you know, see a little bit more like why they were so popular. For people who are fans, you know, I just really wanted to kind of, you know, write something that kind of brought them back to that time and talk about how special the record is. You know, I think a lot of people grew up as fans and the band really meant a lot to people. And, you know, I wanted to kind of convey that feeling and really say, you know, hey, your fandom is justified and, you know, really vindicate that, but also talk about why the music is so good and really dig into the record and talk about why, you know, it's it's it's, it's endured so long you know I mean I've heard this record you know hundreds of times now and every time I listen to it I hear something different And I mean I wrote an entire book on it and I still want to listen to the record which is like which is an accomplishment <laughs> a lot of people cannot say the same thing so it's, it's, a, it's a really listenable record and it's really a record that grows with you so I want to convey that as well
0: so who, who were you able to catch up with in terms of interviews to get some of this fantastic research that you got for the book?
1: So I was able to talk to um, four members of the band um, who were on Rio. And so that was uh, all the three taylors um, Andy, Roger, and John, and then Nick Rhodes. And I was able to talk to a lot of other people. I talked to Andy Hamilton, who did the iconic Rio sex solo. I talked to Andy Earl, who took the picture of Duran Duran within, uh, within the the liner notes. I talked to Malcolm Garrett, who did a lot of the graphic design on the record. I talked to Russell Mulcahy, who did a lot of their music videos. And so those are just some of kind of the main people I talked to. And just really, I talked to some of the MTV VJs. And so it was just really, really great to kind of paint a full picture of Duran Duran. And so I was really, really happy with that, that I was able to kind of do that because you know, I think I got some good stories and I got some good context and I think it just really helped tell the story and really justify the band um, and their influence better.
0: That is so awesome. I seen Duran Duran's been even sharing some links um, on social media, you know, promoting the book and I got to, I mean, I don't know if you set that up or anything, but that's got to feel great as a fan that you are.
1: It really is. You know, I mean, it's really, you know, what's interesting about the, the book. So the, the Rio book is in the series of 33 and a third book series. And if people aren't aware, they're basically these books about one album. And so and it's a long running, very well-respected series. And my book is 156, which means there are only 150 records of all time that were taken to kind of like given this approach. And so it's a real honor. I mean, you have books by Bowie, Roxy Music, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. And so these are all like the great bands. And like Duran Duran is now part of that. And, you know, and that's, that's, that's an accomplishment, you know, that really says a lot and speaks a lot to, you know, kind of the band and, and things like that. So it, it's honestly, it's, it's really gratifying that they're posting about it because, you know, I'm very proud of it, but they should be, you know, so proud of Rio in general and, and the fact that they're still going, I mean, they have, they have a new record coming in October and they have a new single out invisible. That's really good. I mean, they're just like, they're always trying to push themselves and trying to try new things. And that's, That's really cool and really admirable. Not a a lot of bands around 40 years do that. You know, they can just go on the oldies nostalgia tour, you know, but Durandran has never done that. And I think that's a real testament to kind of, you know, who they are as people and as artists and as musicians.
0: I was curious about this too, Annie, and, you know, I I know you know about this, but I think about, uh, was it a month ago, two months ago, I got to interview my favorite hip-hop artist, Wiz Khalifa. And I look at, you know, I look at your interview with Duran Duran and I know how big of a fan you are. So I was just curious, you know, first of all, was this your first time being able to chat with them and how exactly did you handle it?
1: So I had talked to years and years and years ago, I talked to John Taylor and a few years ago, I talked to Nick Rhodes. And so I had, I talked to both of them before, but I never talked to Andy and never talked to Roger. And so that was definitely my first time. Um, you know, the, the nice thing I think is that I have watched and read so many interviews with Duran Duran over the years. I, I kind of knew what to expect a little bit. Um, and because I had talked to them before, you know, they are just, because they, they do they are so much on video, you know, and so they're kind of known entities, which is always good because as a musician, you never know, you know, mm-hmm. someone could be having a bad day. Someone could be, you know, Not in a good mood, you know, but like, but I, from reading Duran Duran, like they're lovely people and they're very giving and they're very honest and they were, you know, and they, it was just as I expected. And, you know, I was very, you know, and honestly, and they didn't have to talk to me for the book. I mean, they've talked about Rio so many times over the years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could have, but, you know, but I I was so grateful and so, uh, you know, and so pleased and just so, you know, that they gave me some you know, extra time on top of that to talk about that. So I was, you know, I'm just so thrilled about that, too. Because I think it made the book better. But, you know, having their hindsight, too, like they're, they have really – they're very smart about the way they not only think about music, but how they think about their own music. And, you know, I think John Taylor last year did these amazing bass tutorials on YouTube that were just mind-blowing. He was just kind of breaking down his bass lines. It's like they're just like – how did he do that? He did it really cool, and so he especially is just really, really smart about dissecting everything. And so, you know, and so it's and, and Nick Rhodes as well, very, very similar, and Roger Taylor, honestly, all of them are very, very um, smart musicians, and very insightful, and so they, they gave me great stuff. You know, they're just it was it was just wonderful. I have nothing but amazing things to say.
0: So this new fantastic book of yours, Duran Duran's Rio where can everyone purchase this book right now Annie
1: So it's actually in stock right now on Amazon um, my uh, publisher it, it goes in and out of stock just because honestly it's so popular but I know it's in stock on Amazon and uh, I think Barnes and Noble and if you actually call your your local bookstore too it should be in stock you know or they can special order it for you um, but yeah it should be it should be and ebooks are available everywhere ebooks are never out of stock so if you if you know you, you prefer that
0: route you're always all good. Yeah, I got to get my hands on the copy. It's I'm waiting on it in the mail signed copy and of course, we'll leave a link in the description for you to purchase on Amazon and those kind of things. I know a lot of people. I see Amazon trucks all over the place. So, hey, uh got the Amazon link in the description. So, definitely get this book like Annie said earlier, even if you're not a fan, if you're a fan, you're going to enjoy this book and you're going to learn a lot about one of the not only one of the most important bands of all time but especially going back to the 80s where probably released the best album of the entire decade so this book is fantastic annie did a lot of great work and research put into this book and as always annie we appreciate you for coming on and talking music with us but i cannot bring you on without of course teasing what else you got coming up what else, what else uh what else you working on i know you ain't taking no days off
1: that's very true <laughs> uh, you know so i i filed a piece on Amy Mann yesterday. She was in the 80s band till Tuesday, but is also a singer-songwriter. And so um, that's that's coming out soon. Uh, last week, I published an article on ranking the best Doors songs, And there were a lot of angry Doors fans. I had to like meet some people on Twitter. But, uh, <laughs> as you do. but that was really fun. So those are some of the two of the bigger things. And then I think I'm writing something on the Go-Go's that's going to be coming out, actually... In July, and so that'll be something to look forward to. Rock Hall. I'm so excited, so <laughs> so so excited. They are they are so well deserving of that honor.
0: And of course, I forgot to mention this. I think I mentioned this on the past episode. So Annie resides from actually Cleveland, Ohio, where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is at. I'll be making a trip here soon, Annie. Me and the girlfriend are planning a trip. So. uh i think i know the museum is open and i know they're i think they're still taking where you have to like set up a time to go but i hope to see you uh, hang, hang out with you and see the rock and roll hall of fame with you
1: dude you got a message up, matt and i we live you know not that far away we will be there to say
0: hi that sounds great annie thank you so much again for coming on i cannot wait to get my hands on this book and you know i'll let you know exactly what i think of it and give you a little review and feedback okay
1: sounds awesome and thanks for having me on as always 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 great to chat time travel with DC Hendricks on the music vibes podcast you can subscribe on Apple podcasts Google Play and Spotify on your mobile device podcasts by federated media